The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 48, Victoria Returns. Pitch down, you dummy. Learning to Autoland and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa. Today's episode number 48 and joining me on the show today is my favorite group of aviation orphans. Our first orphan finally returning from a long journey around all over the you know, United States flying that Airbus 320. We welcome from his studio down in Florida, Mr. Carl Valeri. Welcome back today, sir. I'm not an orphan today. Thank you so much. I'm at home and loving it. Wonderful, balmy. Well, actually, it's cold here. It's 72 degrees, and uh, the people have their sweaters on, walking around with long pants on, but the, the Canadians are definitely swimming. But it is wonderful to be back here in Florida. I was up north uh, traveling around, and uh, you know what? You, you hit it on the head. I feel like an orphan sometimes, especially with the, <laughs> this new job and being on reserve. And, of course, Len, you'd know that too because you're I also sure on reserve. Do. I sure do. <laughs> Funny thing about those folks down in Florida, it's 72, and they've got a jacket on while the rest of us have shorts and sandals on. On, but uh, that's just it did get into the 60s though oh no <laughs> yeah last night so i can understand well, that's it, good but. hot tub weather right there <laughs> <laughs> find me in the hot tub when it's 60 and it's dark out uh, got a beer and everything but uh great well welcome back we're glad to have you another Thanks. aviation orphan we pulled her back from uh, from her pod leave she's joining us here again from her studio down in maryland miss victoria zyko welcome back victoria yeah. you we missed you. Yay! <laughs> I've, I've actually kind of missed you guys, too. Kind of. Well, except for Sean. Yeah. I worked with him a bit during Women of Aviation Week. He was a huge help, so I got to know him before even podcasting with him, which was awesome. True. Yeah. Cool. True. Welcome and, back. Uh, welcome. Yes, yeah, good to have you, and we're going to hear all about what you've been up to. It's kind of funny. I started getting emails. Oh, yeah. Where's Victoria been? I haven't heard from Victoria. I, I um, just put out the blog post. You're going to be joining us back, and Sean's on full-time, and so here we are, the five of us. We've grown by one. Um, Joining me uh, also is Mr. Rick Felty from his studio in Massachusetts. How are you, Rick? Doing great. I am here, and I am ready to go. This is is fun. I am here. (laughs) I am here and ready to rock. Ready to rock. And I'm Glenn Costa joining you from the uh, temporary... World Headquarters down here in the suburbs of Chicago, joining you uh, here at my, always my makeshift bar. Turns out to be where I do the podcast here, so uh, I've got my. turns out you drink too much. (laughs) It's the only time I actually have a beverage is when we're podcasting. I'm enjoying Mm -hmm. a nice cocoa brown by the Kona Brewing Company down in uh, Hawaii. Actually, uh, I highly suggest this beverage. It's quite tasty. Um... 
Yeah, it's got coconut flavor, toasted coconut, and it's quite an quite an enjoyable beverage. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we do get started today, we've got a quick announcement. Carl wanted to share a Balloonatic event coming up. Uh, for all those Balloonatics out there, and of course, you were hanging out with one in Down Under. That I on was. one of our last episodes, and you really liked that, didn't you? I mean, I did. Flying around, did. isn't that awesome? It was like, well, you know, yeah, it was the first time. It was phenomenal. It was a great, great... Uh, a great way to aviate, a great way to see and fly. I really enjoyed it. I think everybody should try it. And you know what? You get a chance to do it if you go down to the Festival of Ballooning in New Jersey. It's the Quick Check Festival of Ballooning, and it's at Solberg Airport. And it's the largest summertime balloon festival in the United States, I think in the world too. But it's uh, 79 days away, and it's July 26th through the 28th. And you know what's really neat is that they're going to have a band there that uh, – if you're from the old, uh, Rick knows this band. It's uh, REO Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> old Rick. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I would say before there was a period there where they were cool. Before they got, yeah, before they got a little more, a little yeah, more we've pop all heard about them. Yeah, <laughs> they are an excellent band, though. They they are terrific. I love listening to them, and uh, you know, actually, they were formed the year I was born. So there's a, ah. a little trivia for you. <laughs> and I won't tell you what year that was either. No, that would the, be fun. Uh, but, that, I mean, that sounds like a really fun event, and, and having them there is just a bonus. Oh, yeah. They always have some great bands. And you know what's really cool is watching those balloons that go up in the special shapes. And I like the one that looks like a big barn and has cows and donkeys and everything else outside it. And it's huge. And then there's a beer, big beer can and everything. So, and, and then at nighttime, they always – and this is at every balloon show, I guess – and they had it at Sun and Fun is the night glow where they send those balloons up and they're, all the lights from the balloons shine, shine on the crowd and everything. You can see it from miles away. That's one of my favorite things to see. But it's really easy to find it. It's actually at www.balloonfestival.com. That's a complicated one. Yeah. Is that yeah. during Oshkosh? <laughs> no. You said July 26th. End of July. Is oh, it is. Uh, it's very uh, close. It is very close, actually. I want to be in two places at once. Uh oh. Thanks we'll for figure it out. Me. Yeah. We'll thanks. Yeah, we'll make it happen. Anybody got a jet <laughs> that I can borrow, please? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, it's I, funny. Mm-hmm. I actually introduced you guys as aviation orphans and left the one orphan out, Sean Moody, joining us from, <laughs> from I wasn't going to say anything. You know, it's funny I didn't pick orphan today as the as our as our um, keyword, and uh, yeah, I happen to forget about you already. You so. get Victoria <laughs> back, and you just <laughs> drop me, <laughs> drop me off the podcast. But I see how the house. Goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're glad you're. We're glad to have you as well. How's everything going? Oh, good, good, good. Just uh, trying to stay dry here. That's about it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, well, yeah, we've got a great show today. Barring the uh, the introduction with uh, leaving Sean out and my my <laughs> my forgetfulness there. Uh, the beer it's i haven't even had a full one i've had like two sips oh my gosh now entering cruise flight the we wanted to start out and find out victoria you've been gone where what have you been doing how you been what's new oh well first thanks for letting me take some time off i mean it just shows how much women of aviation uh worldwide has grown um we just don't have the manpower to um keep this going. I was, I was a crazy lady. So now I'm due for an IPC and a BFR and probably some other acronyms. So I'm looking forward to flying this summer and uh, flying for myself. Um, 
but if any listeners out there are curious about getting involved, uh, please drop me a line. Um, I'm also looking for people to help me out as U.S. team leaders, some people to take off uh, and do some different regions of the U.S. so um, I can better serve all these people uh, hosting events. So um, here's a few things to encourage you guys. Uh, we had over 17,000 girls and women around the world introduced to aviation during that week. One week, seven days, 17,000 girls and women. How, how is that? Because I know year over year, you've, there's been, you know, you've been making some great strides. How's that compared to the last couple of years? Oh, you know? I think I think it's like tripled. Yeah, I thought I so. Mean, I thought it was like the, you know, the major strides in the last year. Yeah, and um, 5,317 um, girls and women took their first flight in a small aircraft, and a majority of those was on March 8th or was it ninth? I can't even remember the dates anymore, but that Saturday, um, a majority of them were flown in 5,317 girls and women. Wow. That's phenomenal. That's um, awesome. Yeah. 333 volunteer pilots, 109 types of aircraft, uh, 74 events. And, uh, these pilots flew around 1500 hours during the week. Mm-hmm. So this is all that volunteer time just to get these women introduced to aviation. And best of all, more than 77% of the girls and women polled who attended Fly It Forward events said that they would consider undertaking an activity in aviation for pleasure or for a career as a result of their experience. That's great. That is super so, awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. It's, it's creating totally awesome. great things. Now, I need to ask all our U.S. listeners to give me help out because Canada swept the competition away and took all the titles. Oh, no. Every year we have some awards <laughs> just to create some friendly competition, and Canada took them all. So we need all to get the them. awards back here in the U.S. And that so means I'm you were slacking this year. Oh, uh, Mr. Don't Start and, With and is that is that straight, straight numbers comparative, um, or is yeah, that a percentage the- of population or something? We're counting the number of flights given. So Ah. the first place went to St. Andrews Airport Mm -hmm. for 680 flights. That's in St. Andrews, Manitoba, Canada. Mm -hmm. And second place, uh, they won first place last year is Yellowknife Airport in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. 634 flights. And then the region of Waterloo International Airport in Breston, Ontario, did 517 flights for third place crazy that's a lot of flights and most of those are just weekend events right uh u.s wise my event in frederick came in fourth so we still have the most female friendly in the u.s we did 342 flights during our week-long event we flew throughout the entire week we did have one snow day and one windy day though but we're blessed with gorgeous gorgeous 60 degree weather um on our saturday event so let me ask you you uh this year you did it over the course of a week versus last year when it was a weekend event how did you feel that when was that did it work out better for you how did it turn out (laughs) for me or for the other people who wanted to fly well i mean everybody because (laughs) it was a scheduling nightmare but it was really it was more difficult over the course of a week well, because we still had our big day-long Saturday event. Okay. So we had people flying from 8 to 5, Monday through Sunday. Um, but, you know, there was less volunteers Monday through Sunday. Uh, Mondays through Friday and Sunday, we had less volunteers. So we had to schedule each flight individually. And if we filled each 
slot up and didn't have the weather problems we did or last minute cancellations, we probably would have flown over 400 girls and women. So it was great opening it up for the week because we found out, um, especially that we have a tower now at Frederick Airport, we can only safely fly about 250 people before pilots start getting exhausted. It's getting dark. It's been a long day. So opening it up for the entire week was really really beneficial. So that's how we got our 342 thanks to that. That's a good Um, idea to run that a little bit longer. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's a week long, you know, it's a week. It's Women of Aviation Week, so might as well do it the whole entire week. Uh, Northampton Airport in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts actually did 309 flights during the weekend. That was the first event they've ever done with Women of Aviation Week. So they were just trailing just behind us. So Big shout out to them. They did an amazing job for their first year. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do a lot. They're they're pretty visible. I've noticed social media. Are they good? I, I, yeah, they're, it's um, it's actually a place fairly close by. I've never gone in there. I need to do that. Well, it's a small little. It's a one run. It's a yeah. It's true. It's a one runway. You know, it's a little. It's a little place, year? but very popular. Place is this Northampton? Northampton. Oh yeah, it's sure like seventy five. It's one of those narrow. You know, like seventy five feet wide. Uh, I think you have, you know, it's back taxiing to get to sure, a turnaround sure. at one end. It's, you know, it's a, it's oh, a small wow, place. Back-taxiing. But the, that's it, interesting to fly that many girls and have to wait for all I'm, that. Back-taxiing I'm pretty sure going. unless they've put something else in, maybe, maybe one way there isn't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's, it's definitely cool. an appealing one, beautiful area. Yeah. So. Well, it makes what they accomplished even more yeah. awesome. They did a great job. Like I think um, that's the airport that Gretchen men learned at. Oh, you know, speaking of a past <laughs> episode. So right. it, wow. it's had some, you know, it's, it's been a good place to learn for a long time. And so that's great for them. I'm, 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 I'll have to check that out. Yeah, they'll definitely be doing it next year. So now that I know that you're close, I'm going to be hooking a okay. <laughs> organizer. No, up that would be you. cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's good. a good one. We did add another award this year. Um, we had the, added the most female pilot friendly flight center. So the flight center that contributed the most. Um, the second place award, I think it was second place, first runner up. Yeah was Calhoun Air Center in Victoria, Texas. So they got that um, for um, introducing, I think, over 200 women to aviation. So I'm really hoping that more flight schools uh, take charge and start doing their own events. So it's not just these individuals, it's the flight schools getting involved and they get benefits from winning, you know, the award. So big shout out to uh, Calhoun Air Center for doing that. Awesome. Um, let's see. Let me think what else. We had a, a first to solo challenge we've had the past few years, and it was won just recently by Lindsay Kinson, again in Canada. Come on, U.S. people. Um, <laughs> she soloed just a month after taking her first flight at a Women of Aviation Week event. And she was the winner of a Sennheiser headset and some other items to help her prepare for her uh, first solo cross country. And she thinks she's going to be a private pilot within the next few months here. So all because of Women of Aviation Week. And, you know, that's what we're about, uh, growing the female pilot population. There's one last thing I want to brag about since I've given you all the the fun stats is uh, my personal event I ran in Frederick. It's, it was my last year. It's going to be my last year running the Frederick event. So I wanted to make sure we went out with a bang. And, uh, since this year's theme was women in space, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the first woman in space, uh, we just had to make this really special for all our participants, make it beyond just the flights. So we had two guest speakers. The first one was Mamta Nagaraja 
and she runs the Women at NASA project, and she's currently interviewing for the 2013 astronaut class. So she spoke to um, everyone here, and she, um, I remember there were some ladies from a science program at a nearby college, and they were just in awe and excited to ask her questions and get pictures with her. I even think I developed a little girl crush. She was so amazing. Um, then I had my celebrity moment, and we had astronaut Pam Melroy come. She did two speeches uh, in front of our audience, and actually all these were live fed on AOPA Live. And I got to spend the whole day with her, including taking her out to lunch. So I was just in awe of being with someone who has accomplished so much. She's been to space. I almost kind of wanted to touch her. Oh, that's what a person who's been to space feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I literally like, I'm like, keep her cool, Victoria. You're in charge of this event. You're supposed to be mature. But, you know, she's been to space. Um she was the pilot on two shuttle missions to the space station, and she commanded her third mission to the space station. She's actually only one of two women to command a mission. So this was, I don't think you could think of a more inspiring person to come and talk to our girl and women participants. Both of these talks are available on the Women of Aviation Worldwide YouTube. So feel free to go check them out. Um, they're each about... 20 to 40 minutes long, but they are just simply inspiring. Just feel free, though. Fast forward through my intro of Pam Melroy. <laughs> I got the script at 10 o'clock the night before. And before going on stage, I learned that the tower wanted us to stop flying girls because it was getting too busy for them. So needless to say, I got up there live in a pretty stressed condition, so I don't <laughs> sound my best. And I probably look like... <laughs> Like there's panic just all over my face. Like, so I had to go on and talk and introduce and pretend to be really excited about this astronaut. And I literally ran off stage to go manage, you know, the problems with the flights. So, and, uh, oh, while you're on the YouTube, check out Sean made our worldwide compilation video that summarizes everything that went around the world during that week. So thank you, Sean. You were a lifesaver and you did an <laughs> amazing welcome. job. So well, while you're you. watching all that, check that out while you're at it. Yeah, it was a great video. I had a chance to take a look at it and um, it was definitely well put together. Appreciate it. Where do you find the video again? It's on the, um, the YouTube for Women of Aviation Worldwide. And a lot of the video uh, that came from the indi individual events, uh, I mean, they, they did a good job of, of shooting it, too. I was, I sure was did, just yeah. sitting there enjoying just, you know, even before I started editing, I was like, wow, I just like here, sitting here watching the local events. It was great. Isn't it just exciting to watch? I actually, Absolutely. I teared up. because I mm -hmm. mean, all that was accomplished during that one week and all these people out there, and most of them were men, introducing these women to aviation. <laughs> just, oh, shush. That's, did you hear that? <laughs> Turbo's awake. Turbo makes his Turbo debut. Turbo is not Turbo. happy. I'm not listening to him. <laughs> he doesn't know he's supposed to be quiet during podcasts. <laughs> but anyway, it was just the most amazing thing. And I look forward to being U.S. team leader again next year. I'm really going to miss running the Frederick event. But it's it's time for me to give attention to the whole United States to make sure you know, other events are as successful as the ones I mentioned. So, have you been able to pass off the baton to anybody in the Frederick area? Any takers on the the task that you've uh, shouldered for the last three years? Shh. Uh, Turbo apparently is volunteering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you know, they're they're scared because of what I have 
accomplished there. I made it so large because that's just what I do. I don't just stop at simply giving free flights. I always wanted to go overboard and we had the traveling space museum come. How could I forget about that? We had a traveling space museum. You got to go into a, um, a space toilet and they had like a lunar rover and in the back of a semi, it was all made up to be like in the international space station. So when you come there and you see everything that was going on between astronaut talks and the space museum and stuff, I can understand why they're a little scared to take on the task, but I'm hoping I can get the flight school mm-hmm. to do it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be huge, but next year the theme's um, aerobatics. So I hope, I'm hoping mm-hmm. we can tie in aerobatics somehow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Whoa. I'm very that excited. Awesome. Does this mean you can't boss me around and tell me to move chairs again? Well, you know, <laughs> I will always boss you around. Yeah, that's true. It's that's one of the vacations or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's expected. But, you know, exactly. it, <laughs> I first, you know, it's funny. The first time I'll never forget the first time I met you. Hi, I'm Carl. Hi, move these chairs. What's the next thing out of your mouth? You know, I you, knew where I stood from day one. You never want to meet me during Woman of Aviation Week. It's not a good time not. to ask me favors or introduce yourself because I will put you to work. <laughs> like I put Sean to work. He's like, hey. Nice to meet you. I'm taking your place at the podcast for a while. I'm like, do a video. <laughs> <laughs> I learned I'm my sure lesson. Sean had fun. Exactly. Oh yeah, it was. It was a good time. <laughs> that's a cool website they have, though. It's uh it's really womenofaviationweek.org, right? Yep, that's correct. That's that's pretty neat. And next year, it's uh, it says on here March 3rd through 9th, uh, 2014. Yes, that's cool. So we uh, we all should be making sure our calendars are open for those dates. Yes, make it please. to that, that event. And hopefully next year I definitely will make it to it. I can move some more chairs because I'm good at that. <laughs> My favorite picture is actually on that website on the slider right now. It's me and the astronaut. And yes, I look like that is cool. I've got robot arm going on, but we were like raising our hands because we asked like who likes the uh, the space ice cream that that you can have. And um yeah, so that was cool. I had you that. You know, Victoria, you look good on the big screen. That's Do every I? time I see. Yeah, oh, last time God. I saw you, you were on the big screen at uh, at Sun and Fun. You know, you're oh, in the you AOPA booth. Uh, everybody and their sister oh, saw it. <laughs> I was trying to grow out my hair, <laughs> and it like, was just. Her. <laughs> you look great, Victoria. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I looked horrible, and I had this little like ponytail thing, and I didn't realize. I looked in the video, and they tried cutting it out, but at times you could, shut up. You could <laughs> see this little like piece of hair sticking off the top of my head. It was not attractive. I can't. But your I can't story was it. inspirational, Victoria. That's that's yes. the most important. Part. Yeah. Okay. Even Good. if it did look like Bam Bam. Bam Bam. I'm not a Flintstone. <laughs> nice. I'm a modern what? woman. Just to help you out, I didn't notice your hair at all. I was so enamored by the story that you told. Oh, so thank you, good. I hope everyone else did too. Yeah, I think now so. they're going to be going to look at my hair. I know. I'm going to yeah. go back and look at the video now. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. I, I'm much more attractive now. I'll have to post a picture. <laughs> But no, that was pretty cool what you did for Women in Aviation and uh, and also yeah. for that AOPA booth. That was neat too. I mean, could you explain a little bit about that too? Is that Does it tie into Women of Aviation also, what uh, you did for no, AOPA? I mean, AOPA just knows me because of my work for Women of Aviation and they wanted to have a female pilot's perspective and they just kind of gave me a call and said, hey, can you do this video for us? And I said, eh, sure. But I was mad. 
I was the only one outside in a cold hangar. Everyone's in a nice, comfortable, like, office Uh setting. I was in front of this plane with my coat on, shivering on a stool. Not even a chair, a stool. So, AOPA, you owe me. (laughs) Wow. Dang. You know, their number two on the list was Patty Wagstaff, so you ranked up their number one. I'm way better than her. What are you talking about? You got it. You got it. Patty. Patty. Amen. <laughs> All right, but no, that's that's really really cool. I think this is one of the better events out there, and and I think it's it's great that you can inspire women of all and you know girls and everybody of all ages to go out, get out there and fly. And I'm I'm glad that other people are out there and promoting this, and everybody's promoting it. Like you said, everybody gets involved. It, it is. It's a, it's amazing. So I really encourage everyone to join us and spread the message that we as women are interested. We just don't feel welcome you know i think it just takes an invite so women of aviation week is an invite awesome and uh, victoria has laid down the gauntlet too we are gonna take that title back of uh, u.s yes go (laughs) usa (laughs) i like this (laughs) now that we've offended all the listeners from everywhere else in the world that's, that's all right. It's good competition. <laughs> it raises that's the true. bar for everyone. <laughs> well, excellent. It's glad to have you back, Victoria. And uh, I know the listeners are happy to have you back as well. Oh, uh, they love me. They yeah, really... they did. They missed you. I had to answer all the emails and follow up. And where is she? What is she doing? I haven't heard from her in so long. We miss her. So... <laughs> How long was I gone? Two or three months? When did I leave? That's a, you know, I didn't have time to look that up, but uh, I, was, a while. I was thinking about three months, three, three-ish yeah. months or so. Feels like it a while. Seems like forever. Yeah. You know. I think it was just before your More couple, about, me. about a month before your event, maybe. So, okay. both, yeah. Well, there thanks, guys. And Sean, thanks for uh, kicking butt while I was gone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's what I do, you know. It's what he does. It's what he does. <laughs> and, um, yeah, very cool. Well, uh, Rick wanted to share a observation he had recently on a flight. He went with a CFI involving some engine failure and engine out procedures. Uh, Rick, why don't you share with us today? Well, I mean, I think I think it's interesting too with the with all of you uh, and the experiences you all have. You know, to sort of echo what I what I noticed and what we what I did, and then especially if the CFIs on the on the show want to comment on it too. It was great. It was a great flight. I had not flown. Um, the plane uh, that I rent a lot in a while, so I wanted to, um, you know, for me, just do what I think I thought felt like the smart thing, which was, um, you know, get back up there with somebody, and uh, you know, make sure that you know, because in your mind you can kind of, if you haven't been up for a while, you can start to convince yourself that you don't have any clue about what you're doing, and <clears throat> so this is, um, so this was a, a pretty good idea, I think, for people uh, should consider, you know, definitely doing this just to do it anyway, even if you fly a lot, but. Um, so, you know, and he was, he was great. And we, and we did a bunch of, uh, you know, we did a bunch of maneuvers and just, uh, you know, some stalls and we did a, um, you know, we did an engine out, uh, at a pretty good altitude. Um, and he sort of caught a simulated engine out and he, you know, kind of called for it at a point where, where, where one quick scan showed an airport just off to my right. And so, you know, I did a, that, that went well on a, pr- a pretty nice, um, kind of gradual pitch for, you know, best glide and a gradual turn to, to get into position a little high and, you know, slipped a little to, to knock some of that off. So it, it, that went well. But the one that was interesting to me was we went back uh, to Norwood where, where we, where I rent, where we, where we started from. And, um, 
uh, did a, did a couple of touch and goes, and then um, on you know on the last one, you know, as a part of the checkout, you know, and it was he was sort of had telegraphed this to me. It was no big surprise. He did another one in the pattern, and um, a, a quick description of it uh, in terms of where I was at and what was happening was I. Of all, of all the little patterns I did that day, that one I, I just had gotten low. So I was already low. Um, and, um, it, and and what ended up happening, and I, and I did some stuff that was, I, I shouldn't, you know, I think I put flaps in when I might not have, when I probably shouldn't have, because I lost, you know, I ended up, I ended up, feel, well, I'll just say the end result is I ended up putting some power in to, to, to make it. But um, he, you know, what was happening at the time was I, I was, and there, I'm going to post this video at some point. Um, I was just, I was right at the point where he still felt, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm on a very short final that pitching down would have gotten me far enough to get to the, to the runway. But, but as low as I was pitching down felt completely counterintuitive. Um, and so, um, it was an interesting moment. I mean, he, he would say, I think later he said to me, you know, that you were about as low as I might've still suggested it. And it was, it was a close call, but I, I know that for me, it felt like I didn't want, you know, I, I didn't want to risk that. It just felt wrong. And, and I think it just spoke to me about the idea of how counterintuitive that can be for, um, you know, the, the whole problem of stretching, of, of apparently stretching a glide by, by pitching up. I'll just be higher here, you know, and then of course you, you don't glide as far. And so, um, it was just cool. It was very cool thing to go through, feel and make a decision that, you know, that, that I had the option to make cause I actually had an engine, but if I hadn't, um, you know, could I have pitched down to try to, to try to eke something out? I, I don't know. And so it was, so for me now, I think I, I will be a little more aware of that, you know, of the tendency to not do that. But I don't know if you have, you guys have any thoughts about that, but I thought it was fascinating and, and just a great reminder. So that, that was my observation and, and, uh, it was, it was cool, cool moment of learning, I think. You know, and that's a, that was actually really interesting, uh, that you talked about that, the pitching up and pitching down, you know, really probably what your instructor was talking about is that your lift over drag maximum, your best glide, in other words, yeah. you actually, you slowed below that speed. Yeah. Right. So, and it's very, like you said, it's very counterintuitive. And now, if you pitch down, you'll be at your best lift over drag max, and right. you'll be able to glide even further. It's it, oh man, you know. But you're, that, but that you're, at, you know, I'm that. certainly. I was below. You know, I don't know how far away I was. You'll see. I'll, I'll definitely post the video as it happened because I think it's a good learning experience. But you know, I was below 500 feet, somewhere in right. the, I don't know, maybe even closer to 250. I don't know. I don't know. 300 maybe. But it. It just, you know, I, he kept saying, he was pretty, pretty confident. Oh no, no, you'll make it just pitch, pitch down. And I, um, and I just couldn't do it <laughs> or I didn't, you know, I just, I just, my hands on the throttle. I know it really is working, you know, and, and I went, oh, okay, that's what they, you know, not that I, you know, I, I get pitch, you know, I mean, I get best glide and I, I understand it intellectually, but in that moment, that low to the ground, uh, I could, I just didn't do it. So, you know, don't feel bad though, Rick. Yeah. You know, because I've seen guys a lot more experienced do the same exact thing. Right. And, and if, uh, I, I've had commercial students that will actually, they started pitching or pulling up when they heard the horn, the stall horn even go off. Yeah. And no, that's, it's counterintuitive. Same thing. You probably right. may have done that yourself. Yeah. In this, in this case, I did, you know, at least I, I knew not to pitch up, but I, but I, I knew that my best course was to, was to kick it in a little bit. And, and of course that doesn't exist. I mean, I was glad I did this when I did it, you know, in a, in a simulation. So um, right. you know, I can, 
and 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 I uh, the bigger problem was I had the whole pattern was set up badly. So I mean I know I know enough about that that you know it was set up in a way that if I wasn't doing a, a short approach engine out you know I, I could have affect you know I could have affected it and caught the right glide slope you know correctly. So it wasn't a problem in normal situations, but starting low when you're, when you're going to lose your engine, you know, get over there quicker, you know, and just turn quicker and get to that runway. Um, and um, anyway, so it was, it was very cool. And, um, you know, and I, mostly I recommend uh, everybody just, you know, go up there with, uh, with someone and, and, you know, practice some stuff, try some things that you wouldn't do alone because, you know, you're heading somewhere or you don't, you know, feel that it's safe to do it alone. So it was cool. It actually kind of remind. oh, go ahead, Sean. I'll say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Rick. I mean, with that, you know, that instructor is just saying, no, 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 you're good. You're good. No, yeah. no, no, don't put any power in. And you're sitting there going, looking at the window, seeing the, you know, the grass just before the threshold yeah. coming up, thinking there's no way. Right. But every time, yeah, they, they get, it ends up right there on the numbers. And, and you go, you know, of course, they knew the whole time it was going to be fine. But, uh, right. you know, well, I get a little bit more experience in, and I guess one day yeah. I'll be that calm. But right. uh, <laughs> my, well, my reaction is the same as you. The video is fun because you'll hear him. You'll hear him as I'm rolling out saying, yeah, just, you know, taxi on back and I'll tell you what you did wrong. <laughs> and it's like, well, and I went right away and I went, well, I, I know to, to begin with the whole thing was set up badly. And there were a couple of cases where I blew altitude and airspeed, you know, that I didn't need to blow. You know, I didn't need to go to the flaps when I did. And there, you know, so it was a series of choices that were wrong anyway. And then I, you know, I bailed myself out with a little, a little goose of power. And so, um, anyway, it's cool. So. That's my little observation, which I was excited to to make, and and uh, I'll I'll definitely put the video up because I think it's a good learning experience for people. And hey, man, uh, I think it's great. That's awesome, right? I mean, I, I'm yeah. glad you shared that. That's terrific. Yeah, it was and, cool. And we all can learn from that. I think uh, that's one of the toughest things for people to to get used to is actually pitching down at certain times where you feel like you shouldn't. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm just so glad you shared that experience. I, and, I think I and, posted the picture. I took a still frame from somewhere around that decision point of of adding the power and a couple of people said I would add, I would add power too. But but uh, you know, it's a tough call and visually it's also a wide angle lens. It's hard to judge really what's happening in that moment. But if you go back I think on my Facebook page you you can see that image. So Anyway, it's good because a lot, you know, we're taught that so many times conceptually to not stretch the, you know, stretch out the glide. Right. But for you to make that connection, right. you know, you had to make that mistake to make that connection, which is one of the great things about, you know, being in a training environment. And I mean, you're already a private pilot, but you continue to go out with a CFI, um, you know, time and time again and do certain maneuvers and do right. certain things and you're continually learning. That's, that's a really good benefit. It's interesting. I don't remember if Rick, I mean, Carl happens to remember flying, the Embraer, but if you're, it's not unsimilar where <laughs> actually when you're coming into flare, um, it's not uncommon for you to actually have to push the yoke forward during the flare to arrest your rate of descent instead of pulling the nose, ah. you know, the yoke back because we have our center of lift is, is uh, more aft in that aircraft with the, you know, the, the wing mounted more in the, um, the second third of the airplane. So you'll actually ro almost roll the nose forward during the flare if, you know, if you've come in um, too steep or you need to, you know, reduce that rate of, um, rate of descent onto the runway. Otherwise, if you pull that nose up, you know, you're, you're slightly stalling the wing, you're going to hit mm. the ground harder. So it's, um, that was an, I don't remember, cool. Carl, do you, do you, how do you, you remember that observation when you first started flying the jet? 
Yeah, that it is a little bit different, you know, because usually you don't ever do that. Like in a, in most smaller planes, you don't do that in the flare, especially. Uh, but yes, I do remember that. And, and same thing with even larger airplanes. I was explaining this to somebody else the other day is that, you know, your, your center of gravity is in such a spot where if you actually push the nose forward a little bit, mm-hmm. it raises your gear a little and yes. it will actually make it yep. roll on, which is uh, pretty darn odd and hard to do. I uh, tried it the other day for the first time and it actually worked in the new plane that I'm flying. And okay. I was like, oh, yeah. thank God it worked because I thought I was going to hear Bang! Crunch. But actually just, yeah, but it actually just <laughs> kind of rolled on. <laughs> and the guy next to me looks at me, see, I told you so, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as I'm sweating bullets. But you're right, it is very counterintuitive. It's, it's hard to understand that concept. Yeah, well, that's the same, and that's the same with, uh, with the Embraer. If you push that, as I was talking about, if you push that nose forward um, to slow, you know, to essentially smooth out your flare, if you will, if you push it too far, you'll do the same thing in the Embraer. And you can actually... Um, you won't necessarily see the nose go forward, but you can almost feel your hind legs rearing up in the air. <laughs> That's kind of the effect that you get visually looking down the runway. You know, you're pushing that nose down, and you know it's like your hind legs are going up in the air. Um, not unlike the Airbus. I wasn't actually sure if because I haven't flown any other any other transport category aircraft where the wing is mid-mounted in the fuselage. So I started to you know, derive some of my observations thinking that it was aerodynamically in the Embraer because of the rear, you know, the rear mounted wing. So it's interesting to learn that it's not unsimilar in the Airbus. Mm-mm. No, and the 7.5 is the same too. I've wa- I watched a guy do it in the 7.5. It was pretty yeah. cool. It scared the heck out of me though. You know, when, <laughs> when I, I'm sitting in the jump seat, you know, you hear, watch he's this. Like, oh God. And he's like, look, and he pushes forward and he just rolls it on. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm waiting for thud. But, you know, I guess it's watch this is not one of the things you, you often want to hear. <laughs> Two words you don't want to hear. <laughs> hey, check, hey, check this out. Yeah. Check this out. Look right? what I can do. <laughs> or hold, the, hold my beer. Yeah. Watch hold this. my beer. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. Things you don't want to hear in the cockpit voice recorder, right? No. But uh, that that's cool though, Lynn. Yeah, I, I remember that. It's just that it's uh, I don't know. It's funny. I didn't really think about it much because I'd been flying the plane for so long. Yeah. And uh, it's just like it's like sitting down in a chair, you know. And now moving to a new airplane, I don't know whose chair it is. You know, it's it's you know just trying to get back in that feel of you know pitching down. Yes, that'll bring the the wheels up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just a little just like Rick. I'm a little afraid to do that because I don't have a lot of experience in that that airplane or whatever. Sure. You know? Yeah. So. Well, that's Good very stuff. cool. And actually, cool. speaking of the Airbus, yes. uh, we've heard a little bit about the Airbus and a little bit about what you've been doing over the course of 2013. But you just had your first experience with an auto landing, and that's pretty neat. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, I didn't. Everybody tells me, you know, you'll you'll never do an auto land. You'll you probably won't see it. Don't worry about it. And and so I'm, I'm on my way back into to Kennedy, actually, and uh, we'll have some links to, to the uh, runway. I was going like, into runway 22 uh, left at Kennedy, and it, they said, hey, you know what? They, uh, it's, it's a little bit low visibility. It was like 1,200 RVR, 1,200-foot uh, visibility. And, of course, we couldn't get in there with the standard Category 2 or the Category 1 landing. And so we said, hey, we're going to have to do a Category Three landing. Well, the thing that bummed me out is this whole month I was flying, I never landed the airplane for a whole month. I took off, but never landed. <laughs> and that's and and then I'm. It's like the last flight of the month. I'm like, cool, I get to land. And and it says, nope, nope, we're doing an auto land. And 
<clears throat> you know, like any of the cat, like you have, Len, with the Category Two or mm-hmm. Category Three, the captain actually, quote unquote, controls the airplane. Um, but with a Category Three, you really don't do anything. You set up the airplane for the Category Three approach, and the autopilot does everything. And I've done it in the simulator. It was a little disconcerting there, but to actually see the plane land itself, you're coming down, and you're at a you know 200 feet. You don't see anything. You start coming down, you might see a little bit of approach lights, and then all of a sudden you see the end of the runway. And it actually will, it'll do everything from, you know, most autopilots do things down to 200 feet or so. Once you get low enough, it actually fla- it goes into what's called flare mode, and it will flare. And if it doesn't flare, what you're doing as, as the uh, first officer is you're going to call out that it, it's not flaring. Because if it doesn't flare, you need to pull up and go around because you're going to fly right into the ground. And it happens fairly quickly. But you, you see the flare, you actually see it touch down, and it, it's a very firm touchdown. And, uh, and then it starts rolling out, and it actually will retard the thrust. But you also hear, especially in the Airbus, you hear retard, retard, retard. It's like, okay, it's calling me a retard, so now let's pull back the thrust. And, uh, and then you, you can apply the brakes. But what's really interesting, I, I think I can handle the whole fact that it flares for me. But after the flare, you're like, okay, I'm on the runway. I need to do something. But the, the airplane is still flying on the runway. It tracks the center line with the localizer. And it, it'll keep tracking it. And your autopilot is still on and you're on the runway, which kind of boggled my mind at first. And then you click off the autopilot and get off the runway. And, you know, it, I, I, think, I think I'm okay with the auto, automation now. Uh, it, it's, you know, since you realize these things, you know, they, it, you're monitoring very closely – but uh, they've done these a whole bunch of times. The hardest part of the whole Autoland was getting off the runway and taxiing to the gate. I, you know, the 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 controller asked us to cross a runway and we cross it, and then they ask you know to follow Virgin, and I'm like Virgin Atlantic, and I was like, what what type of airplane? I can't see it. They said it's a 747. It's right in front of you, <laughs> and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, listen, I can't see it. And they said, well, move forward a little bit. And, you know, we see him on the radar and we, we know he's there. And then I see this, this light, this little, it's a green light. And it's way above me. And I was like, wait a minute, that's a wingtip. And then I see another light, a white light. And I'm like, hmm, a nav. And then I see a, kind of an outline, a red figure. And so I'm somewhat in the haze. And I realized that's the tail of Virgin Atlantic. That's all I could see. That's the only part of the airplane I saw as mm. it taxied by. And that was kind of scary. So actually, it's not just the landing. It's those, those taxi routes that can be quite uh, challenging to get you back to the, to the gates. And when we pulled up to the gate, of course, they have lights you know, in the taxiway. Which, but when you get into the gate area, into the tarmac, those lights go away. So now you have to find the gate. And we saw the people, but we couldn't see any lines or anything like that. We could see the, line, you know, the, the little wands through this fog. And we had to have them come out to us to actually walk us towards the line so that we could actually pull up to the gate. That's how foggy it was. Now, what did you say the visibility was again? When we landed, it was uh, 1,200 RVR. RVR, okay. On the yeah. landing when yeah. we actually landed. But we can go as low as 600 yeah. with what's called a Category uh, 3B. Uh, there's another one called a Category 3C, which uh, isn't authorized yet, but that is actually going to be the, the landing and the rollout. But... Uh, and I'll take it all the way off, but you have to be able to taxi in, in zero, zero visibility because right. there is no visibility um, requirement there, which is incredible. But if you do land and it's Category C uh, conditions or it's zero, zero, you're basically shut the airport down because you can't get off the runway. Right. 
And you have to make that decision. You know, if you have to land, you have to land. Right, right. But, uh, so so, you're, so it's category 3A. Uh, 3B is actually the one uh, that we have on this that airplane. You did. Okay, so, so yeah. were you 3A or 3B that day? Uh, 3B is what the aircraft certified for. Okay. Uh, honestly, it, uh, it was 1,400 RVR. Uh, we, we don't do category two. We just let it do. If it's a two, category two, we go ahead and do it on a land. Uh, but category two is actually 1200 RVR right. and you have a decision altitude of hundred feet above the ground. Right. Uh, so yeah, we were down to three B, which is 600. Three A is actually 700 RVR. Okay. And so we'll have three, kind of a link to that. Three uh, B. The and then, uh, does it auto break for you or is that yeah, when yes, you, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the auto brakes actually on the Airbus are always. You you don't land without the auto brakes on. So every single landing is an auto brake unless you really want to stop. Then you do manual braking. You're, the auto, if you really really have to stop quickly, you can use the manual brakes. But no, every landing we do auto brakes. Auto brakes. And uh, so yes, the auto brakes come on. It slows you down, and then you click off the autopilot. But it was rather exciting though. I mean, like I said, it's it's weird to all of a sudden see the runway and then it, it flares and it lands. It's like all of a sudden one one thousand two one thousand boom we're on the ground. It's like oh wow. Huh. And, uh, of course, boom. I get plane. I get plane. <laughs> yeah, boom. <laughs> I should say more like a, a thud. How's that sound? Thud. Boom is a bad word. <laughs> thud doesn't sound much more. That doesn't sound much better. Does it? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, the problem is like uh, the, obviously some of the the flight tents and all knew it was my it was my leg. So they're like, oh okay. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, nice landing. I was like, yeah, I didn't do it. The airplane did yeah, it. The airplane did it. Yeah. <laughs> Blame yeah. it on the airplane, not on me. <laughs> so, but, uh, but so it, that, it's that approach is fully automated, including mm-hmm. the brakes. So it reminds me of one of those famous lines from Office Space when he says to the one guy, "What would you say you do here? I mean, if the airplane's <laughs> doing everything, why do we need Carl? Exactly. Well, I have to monitor it in case it breaks. Perfect. Well, yeah, and then there's the a dog in the background barking and there's biting me if I it's and we have that effect here. You're supposed to kick the dog when I said that, but you know the dog's sitting there and he barks and says, "Don't touch that," and that's how that's what we do. But you're right; it, it really is. Uh, there's a lot of set. Amazingly enough, there is a lot to do before you you, you actually land oh, sure. with a, a land. As a matter of fact, there's more to do on an auto land than on a another land. You know, in other words, we we have to prepare the aircraft. Uh, you know for for everything. I mean, it's just, you know, for the landing, the rollout and everything else. And, and you have to go through a whole process to make sure the plane is set to land. You know, we can't land in all conditions, you know, especially if it's too windy. And so if we can't land those windy conditions, we go away. The other thing I didn't realize is that when we were coming into Kennedy is that that's right on the water. And I guess this happens a lot in that area. You know, they have that fog that rolls in. Just just amazing that it comes off there. The marine layer. I think they have that up in Maine and stuff like that. And in Boston, I think. But it's incredible to see just on a normal day that it rolls in, and uh, it, it uh, like I said, it was it was a bit disconcerting. It was just it's just as disconcerting for me as my first over water flying. You know, when I started flying this plane, we you know, we'll be over the water for four hours at a time and never see land. And uh, you know, gosh, you're sitting there like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. I don't like cold water, like I said. <laughs> Thank Should God have learned how to swim when I was younger. <laughs> oh. But no, it was very interesting. And if there's some links, uh, I'd hope we could put them from the Wikipedia and uh, also on the actual approach that I did, the ILS-22 left to Kennedy. It's, uh, it's quite interesting. It's, it's, you think it's really complex, but if you look at it and you're an instrument flyer, you're going to say, hey, this makes sense. I could do that. 
And, uh, and you know, oh, here's another interesting thing, too, is that there's certain things on the instrument approach, say that there's visual cues that you would have on an instrument approach that you actually don't need on a Category 2 and a Category 3 uh, approach. And uh, so there's certain lights that can be out because you're not going to see the lights anyway. Ah. And like, oh. That makes sense. That. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. yeah, like right. like the the sequence flashers right. and stuff like that. You, you don't need that, you know. That you can actually have those out, and, you know, those type of things. So there are certain things that that you don't actually need that you would need otherwise, which is kind of interesting. Or or there are certain things that you have to have that that aren't in that list of things you have to have on a normal landing, which right. is pretty cool. So it's it's a it's more uh, limiting, I guess, you know, than uh, or it's not as limiting, I should say, right. as, as like a regular approach. And to put that in perspective, 600 RVR is roughly, uh, you can see about a centerline stripe in front of you and about uh, two and a half to three uh, runway lights on the runway edge. That's, that's about all you can see at 600 RVR. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think uh, your operator and also mine will allow you to take off in 500 RVR. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting because... And you can't, can't it, land there, though. No, you can't yeah. land there, and that's when you have a takeoff alternate. So if you do have right. an emergency, you're actually blasting off out of there, and then you're going to land somewhere else. But in what I was just saying is, you know, you're going down the runway at 100, uh, you know, 130, 140 knots with a centerline stripe in front of you and barely two runway lights on the side. That's all you can see. You know, if something was to pull out on the runway or an animal was to run out on the runway, you have minimal split seconds, if any, to, you know, to see and avoid or make a decision. So those situations always make me a little bit more tense um, on takeoff for sure when it's, you know, when the visibility is that low. And thank God for good controllers that keep our heads up, you know, because they, they really are, are keeping us safe. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and on the, especially on the taxi and too. I mean, if you, and but they also have radar too, which is nice, and and that's that they can actually see where the aircraft are, uh, out on the runway and everything. So, so did you get a low visibility taxi clearance on the way in? And those are generally, uh, for those folks that aren't aware of them, they're they're spe- specifically designated taxi routes for when the visibility is as low as twelve. I think it's as low as twelve hundred RVR or yeah, less right. than twelve hundred RVR. I can't remember. There's it just says, I remember it says 1,200 RVR on the plate. And um, there's specific routes around the airport that are actually lit uh, for you to follow, kind of like lead-in lines. Now, did you get one of these uh, special low-visibility taxi routes? We got the route, but we never were given the route. In other words, we, we got the actual routing. In other words, they told us okay, exactly yeah. the ones that go on. Sure. Uh, but it wasn't like a uh, predetermined taxi route. Like you see at a lot of airports, they'll say, hey, taxi via... The, the the green route or the red light route yeah, it okay. was actually just a, a progressive almost like taxi because we really, really couldn't see. And we kept telling the controller, listen, guys, you know, I know there's a 747 there in front of us, but we can't see anything. And uh, we just had we had to move just a couple of feet forward and finally it came into view. Yeah. And we're talking really close. And I was like, wow, this this is amazing. That And, and that's why you taxi super duper slow in those situations because you really don't want to be moving too fast, especially if you get, you might bump into something. It would be very, very bad. <laughs> that's my advice for the day. Hey, man, Robin's <laughs> racing, you know, and that's what they say. <laughs> Not but, in airplanes. But that was, that was fun stuff. That's like the first time I, I've done it in probably – 
the last time I'll do it for a long time. But uh, it's good that, that we have all these checklists. And you know that, Len, when, you, when you're doing a, a, a special type of approach, you have a bunch of checklists to go through the procedures to set you up for that type of landing. It's, a, it's not a short one either. I mean, I think we've commented oh, on previous God, no. shows, but the Category 2 checklist uh, that we go through at, at my company can take, you know, near 10 minutes to accomplish because there's so much read and do and read and verify and systems to check and all the settings and everything and make sure that if there is an MEL or something, some equipment is in op, that it's verif- you know, that it fits within uh, the qualifications of, of, uh, of the procedure that you're doing. So, I mean, it can literally take 10 minutes. Usually, this one of the things that we'll do is if we even predict that we're going to have to have one of these low visibility uh, landings is we'll do the briefing and cruise flight and knock it out of the way because if you're, you know, if you're vectoring around on the downwind and all of a sudden um, the weather goes all the way down to minimums or lower than, you know, one of these reduced visibility approaches, it's like you're going to have to probably do a couple of circuits around or go mist so that you could do these, you know, certification checks and everything. So, uh, it's not. It's definitely not a short process. No, not at all. You know, Lennon, this is a topic maybe for another uh, podcast, but do you sometimes feel as the person's going through that checklist, it's normally the captain reading the checklist, that you can even zone out a little bit, you know, while they're reading that? Like there there are so many things on that list of of things to do. It's pages long. It is pages. And it's like It's like reading a short story and you're sitting there, Saying now, did I get everything he just told me? <laughs> you know, you think about that. I mean, I, no, I'm it's just, true. Uh, just just as a conversation piece, we should probably talk about that someday because long checklists can that can sometimes happen, and long briefings that can you can maybe zone out during a portion of it. And in that particular one for the category two approaches, I feel myself, or I, I see myself consistently double checking. What were those callouts again, and what am I supposed to be doing? Because I've read you know ten pages, and then. My actions are, you know, just at the end there, and we've gone through so much, and I have to continually look over at the book and say, like, what was I supposed to do again? What, what altitude was I supposed to call? And for some reason, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's such a long checklist that I'm constantly re-verifying uh, personally because we've gone through so much stuff, you know, the items that I was supposed to call out, especially on those approaches. I, yeah, I like the category one. How low, how long, which way? You know, that's all I need to know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's more to it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, a little who bit. Who logs more. that? Oh, sorry. Who Go logs ahead. that landing once you're down? Yes. No, the captain does. <laughs> captain the captain does. actually gets to log the landing, and uh, and it, and it's funny because you know on, on most of the the reports it'll say you know it was it successful or no. I just want to. I want to put no in there one of these days. <laughs> well, how did they qualify that? I know. Say, what's an unsuccessful landing? You went around, or went you around. couldn't log that landing, and nobody went home that day. What do you mean unsuccessful? <laughs> if I go to another airport, is that inferred that it's not a successful landing? I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't get that one at all. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's pretty neat stuff though. They do it for statistics and all to see make sure that we can stay certified as far as uh, the category three, and the category two landings, of course. But I kind of understand that we do have to make sure that we log all the landings and stuff like that. But uh, and that it's successful or or no. And I and you know if it wasn't successful, then you have a little explaining to do. Why didn't it happen? That type of thing. Just for for their analysis. You know why did you have to go around? What happened? That type of thing. You know, if you didn't see the, the thing flare, then you go around. And the crazy thing on the flare, and, and you know this, Len, is when if you're down that low and you're flaring and you have to go around, you are touching down and then oh, yeah. you're going around. Yeah, your so main, main wheels, it's not uncommon to touch, yeah. 
Yeah, and then you're you're heading back up into wow. the air, and and not seeing anything, you know. Then you hear a thud, kind of like the landing, yeah. and then you go around. So it's like, oof, you know, I, I didn't like that too much. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff. I, uh, fascinating. It was fascinating for me to do it the first time in real life instead of in the simulator. I always I always brief the guy I'm flying with, guy or gal I'm flying with. When you do one of these approaches, I'm like, there's no points for style. I don't want you know meaning. This isn't uh, see how smooth you can land it. This is uh, put it on the runway where it belongs, um, which is an entire discussion for a whole nother show. Yes. About stretching landings at small airports. Mm. Yeah. Our picks of the week. Well, we should get to the top of the hour here. Uh, so why don't we move right along here to our picks of the week, uh, starting with Mr. Sean Moody. Tell us about your pick of the week today, Sean. Mine's going to be the, I don't think I've done this one before, the uh, Aviation Museum of Kentucky at a Bluegrass Airport. Um, if you ever fly through the area, it's right on the same grounds as the main commercial airline here. So if you got a little bit of a layover, you can hop over to the other side of the airport. they got a lot of cool airplanes. Uh, I didn't realize this until the last time I went out there, but according to them, the world's first retractable gear airplane was flown here in Kentucky, um, which I never knew. It was a farmer who flew off a rail and had to pull up the skis, I think, uh, from the rail when he, when he was up in the air. So an interesting uh, way to see some of uh, Kentucky's contributions to aviation. And uh, yeah, occasionally you'll see a group on for it, but I usually like to try and pay full price because I just like to support it as much as I can. But if you're ever in the Lexington area, go check them out. Now that's at the airport? That is, yeah. It's right there on the airport across the ramp from the uh, main terminals. Oh, okay. I haven't, it's a cool, cool museum. Say, I haven't noticed it. I've got in there that's, a bunch, but... That's not the haunted one, is it? Hmm. Oh, God. No, that's that not hurt. Denver. We had a whole haunted episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but no, there's one. Maybe it's it's like Kansas or maybe it's Kentucky. I thought it was huh. Kentucky. Uh, I think there is one in Kansas, too. That's haunted. Maybe it's Kansas. The K's let's are not talk about. Me. I got to go to bed tonight, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I don't like these scary stories. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm gonna sleep and if you're, here, if you're here, look me up on Twitter. I definitely will. You know, everybody should look up Sean Mitty when he's in there in Lexington. Say hi. Uh, that that is the neatest thing that that little airport museum. I absolutely love it there. Uh, just the friendliest people there, and uh, they have. Uh, there's a lady there that runs an FBO. What was her name? Uh, the uh, gosh, I can't remember that. She did. Uh, she wrote a book. No, oh, I it's know probably Arlen over at Aerotech. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. At Aerotech and. She's an interesting person, you know, to, mm-hmm. to talk to. She's been there for quite some time and has a lot of a lot of history to tell about the airport. And so, if oh, you yeah. get a chance, go go pop in there and talk to her. That's that's cool. That's cool, Sean. Speaking of Lexington, it was probably just very busy over there this weekend, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, we had the uh, the you know we don't get as much as as Louisville does, but uh, you know Keeneland, which is the big racetrack here in uh, Lexington, has a big Derby festival. So. You know, Louisville had the main derby activities over at Churchill, but we we had our fair amount over here. I think eighteen thousand showed up to uh, Keeneland to watch it on a big screen over there. So it was wow. busy, yeah, yep. busy, busy airport. Now, is that can they find that museum on the internet, uh, Sean? Yeah, so, it should yeah. be. I believe it's uh, www.aviationky.org. Cool, excellent. Uh, Victoria, tell us about your pick of the week. I. <laughs> Rawhide dog like, bones. I, yeah, I just had to unmute because he he ate his whole rawhide. Now he's eating. He's chewing on a squeaky toy, and I keep hearing it going. Arr, arr, arr. So I apologize. I was on mute because that's okay. Of, that's okay. 
puppy here. Um, but my pick of the week is uh, Airfare America, and it's going to be a TV show. And about I know all us pilots will love it because first of all, it's about airports and airplanes. But it really um, will get a bit broader audience because it's also about the food and the fines. Um, it's going to these airports, small airports, checking out the restaurants and what cuisine they have to offer. And then they go into, shush, um, they, go, <laughs> they go into like old hangars and find unique things from old airplanes to vintage cars to, you know, who knows what they find. So they're going to travel around America for flights, food and fines. So Airfare America. Excellent. Uh, Sounds really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. I'm excited to see uh, what comes of it. Cool. Carl, tell us about your pick of the week. Uh, my pick of the week actually is a group of the friendliest flyers I ever met, and they were at uh, Sun and Fun Air Show. I've, I've interviewed them twice already, and they're called the Coconut Flyers. And they, they have the neatest tiki bar set up, and they're like, hey, come on over. Have a beverage with us and uh, a free hot dog. Uh, Coconut Flyers, what a, what a great name. And... Uh, I love their logo on their website. It's at coconutflyers.com. I think it's really, if you get a chance, just look at their website. There's a, one of my favorite planes, a Stearman, is on that website. And if you look in the top right, they have this little Stearman, and, and it's, it's really cool. It kind of moves around. And when I first looked at it, I thought it was me that was moving around. It's just slowly turning and everything. It's pretty cool stuff. But the Coconut Flyers, they restore old aircraft and the person that uh, is there that does a lot of restoration and is very active in promoting coconut flyers, Tim Kirby, he actually has one of the best steermans I've ever seen. And you know what? They'll take you up on rides, and they'll actually help you out with your restoration if you're restoring a warbird. And he won, I guess it was in, yeah, in 01, he won, he had won the Grand Champion Antique at Sun and Fun in 01, right after he restored it. And then... He also he won a prize in uh, Thomasville, Georgia, but he also won Best Primary Trainer in, uh, at Sun and Fun in 07. And recently, he was on the cover of Warbirds magazine and the, the article Steerman Discipline. So this, this person has this airplane there. They also have other ones that they restore. But really, you know, it's about the people. The folks there are, are some of the, the most welcoming people I've ever met. At an, at an air show. They're just terrific and they're friendly and their website is really cool. So go to coconutflyers.com. You may want to, <laughs> you may want to go out there and uh, and fly sometime out of Ocala, Florida and they have some really good pictures. I like the photographer has done a great job and uh, if you want to know a little bit about them just click on the their fellow coconuts. They they talk a little about about the uh, coconut flyers there and uh, <laughs> some of the coconuts. things. That, I just yeah, I love I love everything about these guys. They're just terrific. They're all they're what what aviation's all about. You know, it's uh, the wind and the strings, uh, you know, the bugs and the teeth, and and hanging out with a bunch of guys talking airplanes. And everybody that if you if you've seen them right at in, at uh, Sun and Fun, you'll see some of them at Oshkosh. You see a whole bunch of steermen lined up. They're probably going to be there. The coconut flyers. So check them out at coconutflyers.com. Great name. Excellent. Coconut Flyers. Very cool. Now, Carl, I wanted to talk about my pick of the week real quick because on a previous show, you mentioned that uh, you were using an app on your iPhone and iPad called My Radar Pro. Yes, My Radar. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of, well, actually it was last week, um, we were flying uh, around some thunderstorms or getting ready to fly around some thunderstorms. 
And my FO hands his phone over to me and shows me our route of flight depicted over the radar. And I said to him, you know, what are you using? Because I don't use um, a flight planning app at the day job. I don't, I don't have any apps that I pay for that I use in that capacity as far as uh, for flight or iFlight plan or anything like that. I don't use them at work at the airline. So he's, you know, he tells me, he goes, hey, man, this is my radar pro. And I said, I've heard of this app. But what I didn't know, and I don't think what you knew, Carl, is that it has a particular aviation layer. Um, when you go to the layers section, you can select aviation layers. You can turn flight track on. And then it gives you the ability to um, input your flight number, whether you're a uh, commercial operator or even if you're a private, uh, you know, private flyer. If you're a commercial operator, you just enter in your ATA code, your three-letter identifier, and then your flight number. For instance, uh, if it was Delta Airlines, you'd put in, uh, you know, DAL and the flight number. If it was a private flyer, you would put November 12345. You hit search, you'll find that it comes up and it tells you um, what type of aircraft it is, who the owner it is, and then it pops up with a message that says new flight plan on file for blank flight number. You click done, and then you've got your entire route of flight depicted over the over the map of the United States with the radar going over it. So you can actually see, you know, where the weather's going. And, uh, you know, unlike what we normally do on an iOS device where you hold down the home button and the power button at the same time to take a screenshot, there's actually a camera button right there that allows you... Um, Actually, it's not the camera button. It's the uh, the share radar image. You copy the image or save the image, and it will put it right, uh, you know, save it to your, uh, your photo album there on your phones for later retrieval when you're flying and you don't have access to your data. Now, the one downside is uh, this feature is not available on the Android version of my Radar Pro. So unfortunately, uh, you can't do that on Android version of it. It's probably something that's going to be coming up soon. I don't know. Maybe we could reach out to the developer and find out. But the app is, uh, they have two versions. It's free uh, if you want the ad supported, or it's $1.99 if you want no ads. My Radar Pro is the name of it. And uh, it's my extension of Carl's Pick of the Week because of the uh, flight plan Um the flight plan layout uh, or overlay. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool little app. Um, but, Rick, tell us about your pick of the week. Mine is uh, completely fun and non, non-functional. Um, I, I, actually <laughs> went, I, I actually went and looked this up. I think I was influenced by a pick of Sean's a few shows ago, um, which was a flying, a flying app for uh, his phone. I don't know if it, was, if, you, if it was iOS or Android at the time, but it, the point was, okay, yeah, I, I should see what's out there again. So I stumbled upon um, uh, an app called Reno Air Races, and I don't know if this app exists uh, outside of iOS. I bet it does because um, it's not all that complicated. But um, it's basically uh, an air race simulator that um, it works it, – it's beautiful. It works great on the phone. Works great on the, the pad. Um, you can change perspective on how you're flying. There's different ways to fly. You can just practice uh, the race course. You can also fly um, interactively with other people randomly flying. So other people using the app in other places are in your race, and you're racing against them. Um, they're the, the, I'm just looking through it. You can there there there's a T6 class, which is really cool. Um, 
a jet class, which is sort of a some kind of Air Force jet. Um, I'm not. It doesn't say, and I'm not big. I don't know those very well. And then there's a biplane class, and you can also fly mixed, which has I think mixed results for the for the biplane folks. But um, and you can you know specify weather, number of laps, how many planes you want to be involved with, how difficulty, you know, how much difficulty, and and there's a rudder. There's rudder control, and you can make it fairly realistic, and um, it's just a blast. So um, I I recommend checking out Reno Air Races, uh, the app for iOS. The after landing checklist. Victoria, why don't you uh, tell folks how they can get in touch with you? Uh, you can find all of my contact information at toriaflies.blogspot.com. Carl, best way to find me is on my website and my blog expertaviator.com. Sean. Uh, best way to find me is on Twitter. I'm Aviation. That's A-V-I-A-S-E-A-N. Rick. R. Felty on Twitter. R. D. Felty on YouTube. And rotationspeed.com. Don't forget the D. Don't forget the D. It's for and, uh, dedication. Dedication. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm Len Costa. You can find me on Twitter at Len Costa. Uh, this has been episode number 48 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Please, uh, if you're interested in uh, questions, comments, send us a voicemail, 617-981-4134. You can send us an email uh, through the website or stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. We really enjoyed uh, sitting down, finally all five of us, not just uh, bits and pieces, but all five of us back together for the first time actually we've never had uh, the whole five some together before but from myself len costa sean moody rick felty carl valeri and victoria newville thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 48 of the stuck mike avcast and we wish you all guys uh, clear skies and calm winds. take care everybody You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.